Today's podcast is brought to you by the Ashbrook Center. The Ashbrook Center is an independent center at Ashland University that teaches students, teachers, and citizens what it means to be an American. Ashbrook's new book, 50 Core American Documents, tells America's story from the founding through the 20th century using original historical documents. Get your copy of Ashbrook's 50 Core American Documents today in the iTunes store or at 50docs.org. That's 50docs.org. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Philip Terzian, Literary Editor of the Weekly Standard, with my weekly podcast on the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. And this week we're looking at the November 24th issue of the Standard, um, where we begin the section with a review um, by the aforementioned Philip Terzian of The Churchill Factor, How One Man Made History by Boris Johnson, uh, which has just been published by Riverhead. Uh, The interest in this book is as much in the author as the subject. The author is Boris Johnson, who is the mayor, the elected mayor of London. Um, uh, Something of a character, a a well-known British journalist and one time uh, member of parliament, he ran for mayor of London in 2008 and was re-elected a couple of years ago and is a current uh, candidate to re-enter parliament or run for parliament in the upcoming um, British general election, which will happen sometime in 2015. What's interesting about Johnson, there are two things that are interesting about him. One is that he's, he's uh, I use the word character advisedly, he's a... Um, um, very memorable looking with a great mop of uh, blonde hair and a decidedly unconventional uh, personal manner. He has a kind of uh, 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 devil-may-care attitude, shall we say, and it tends to say things that most politicians don't say. He puts himself into deliberately embarrassing situations and somehow carries it off, and he's been a great... Um, uh, he's been, if nothing else, a very entertaining figure and actually quite a, a successful mayor of London, obviously very smart. And so the book, um, The Churchill Factor, is in effect a, a long essay about Winston Churchill by Boris Johnson, who is a lifelong admirer and something of a hobbyist of the subject. It's a very interesting book. I would say that it is not a book that if if you're a scholar of Churchill, um, I don't think you're going to learn anything in particular from this. Um, but if you know a little bit about Churchill, or if you know next to nothing about Churchill, it's a great book to read because it really gives you, uh, in very um, interesting and entertaining, uh, an interesting and entertaining series of essays, it gives you a very good sense of what Churchill was like and why he is so widely admired today. And it it delves into certain issues about which Churchill is controversial and Boris Johnson tends to be, tends to defend him at all costs, but not, not necessarily. It's a, so it is in, I would say in, in, in short order, it's a, it's a very interesting portrait of Churchill and uh, defense of, Churchill, uh, a brief for Churchill, if you will, before the bar of history, um, and very entertainingly written. Uh, Boris Johnson is a great writer. He has a wonderful sort of conversational style. 
And I would say that as as books go, especially history books go, um, it goes down very, very smoothly. And I I um, recommend it, therefore, to to everyone who's interested in in good writing, modern history, and if particularly if they have a particular interest in in Churchill himself. That is followed by a review by Malcolm Forbes of a, a new book entitled The Georgetown Set, Friends and Rivals in Cold War Washington, which intrigued me to some degree. I happen to be one of the rare creatures on the planet who's actually a native of the, of the Washington area and um, grew up uh, really in the era that they're talking about, the 1950s and 60s. The author, Greg Harkin, um, uh, uses as the kind of centerpiece of his book the Alsop brothers, Joseph and Stuart, who are now, um, I don't want to say largely forgotten, but nowhere near as well known as they were 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. But they were once upon a time very, very influential um, <clears throat> excuse me, journalists. Um, uh, Stuart Alsop was basically a magazine writer. Joseph Alsop wrote a syndicated column. They actually wrote a column together for many years until they split in the 1950s. Um, both were of a type that were rare in their day. They, the Alsops are a kind of, I would say, semi-upper-class American family from New England. Um, they were both distant relatives of uh, Theodore and therefore Eleanor Roosevelt. And in fact, Joseph Alsop came to Washington in the 1930s as a young uh, correspondent for the New York Herald Tribune in an era when men of that, shall we say, class of that ilk didn't really go into newspaper work so much, and he was very adept at using his family connections to make a, a bit of a splash in the Washington of the 1930s. He was an indefatigable reporter on Capitol Hill, and of course did have a sort of family access to the to the Roosevelt White House. His brother Stuart was a few years younger and came to the game a little later, but they were the archetypes of the, uh, shall we say, reporting journalists of that era whose primary stock and trade was not what they had dug out in the archives or um, chased someone down the street to find out, but really what they learned um, as much through their social connections as anything else. They lived in Georgetown at a time when Georgetown was just becoming a fashionable place to live. A lot of New Dealers lived in Georgetown, and then, of course, in the 50s and 60s, it acquired a certain social cachet, which it uh, still has to this day. And, of course, the Alsops, especially Joseph, were dear friends of John and Jackie Kennedy. And so you could say, and to some degree, that the late 50s and 60s and to some degree early 70s were the heyday of, of the Alsop kind of world that this book, The Georgetown Set, describes. Of course, all of that kind of fell apart with Vietnam and other things in the late 60s. Um, but it's an interesting, if, if you're interested in the sociology of, of political Washington, it's an interesting book in that respect. And it it's a world that still exists, although obviously the, the names have changed and the, the types of people involved have changed. Of course, the world of journalism has changed, but it's a it's a kind of interesting uh, view of that world. I think the author tends to um, perhaps, perhaps overstate the, uh, the influence that people like the Alsops tended to exercise. But 
it's an interesting read and as i say it's it's a it's a it's a portrait of a of a vanished um age but an age that has uh, a world that has evolved rather than disappeared that is followed by an interesting piece by michael taub about two books um um an american journalist once famously said that when he stepped down as editor of a magazine that he had never run he had very very proudly uh, declared that he'd never run a piece about canada um well we take exception to that and these are two interesting books from canada one is called shopping for votes how politicians choose us and we choose them and the other is winning power canadian campaigning in the 21st century the author is michael taub who is a canadian and has is still a working journalist and but at one time was a speechwriter for the current prime minister of canada stephen harper and it's in they're, they're both interesting books that tell us a story of what um what canadian politics is like how it differs from the united states but also especially in the second book um explains how uh, certain contemporary politicians stephen harper in particular have revolutionized um, canadian politics in some ways americanizing them to some degree um, neither of them lament this fact but they do describe it in interesting detail michael taub has told tells some interesting stories associated with all that so even if you don't think you're particularly interested in canada this piece will interest you nevertheless and since we're on the subject of politics um, the next review is um, by a young writer called max eden it's a book review of a new book from david horowitz david horowitz of course is uh, um, the man who needs no introduction the longtime uh, conservative activist a former former marxist who saw the light in the mid 60s and has been an indefatigable battler in the culture and political wars since then and his his new book is called take no prisoners the battle plan for defeating the left which is a, a people are always <clears throat> excuse me people are always asking um, um you know we believe in certain principles and we believe in uh, certain uh, uh, things and what can we do to make this happen politically in a country that uh, if nothing else um, has elected barack obama twice in the last uh, six years and is uh, i don't want to say it's trending blue but we live in a we live in a very purple political society now where the middle 10 20 percent of voters seem to hold the balance of power what can conservatives do to make the conservative brand more not only more appealing but more uh, successful in politics and david horowitz has a, a number of prescriptive ideas um, some of which we might say um, uh, came to life in the midterm elections the book was obviously published uh, almost coincidentally with the midterm elections and it deliberately looks ahead to the presidential election in 2016 but um, for political activists out there i think it's a book that uh, will be of much interest and the review gives you a good idea of what the book is saying that is followed by an essay by Daniel Ross Goodman, who is a frequent contributor to our pages, and it's entitled An Animated God, the Sacred and Profane Meet in Springfield. And the Springfield in question is not the Springfield of Abraham Lincoln, but the Springfield of 
Homer and Bart Simpson. Um, the author, who is, a, a, among other things, a rabbinical student in New York, um, takes the view that religion, it's actually a much more conspicuous part of the Simpsons than we tend to think. Um, and uh, we don't we, we don't tend to think of religion in conjunction with humor, and we don't tend to think of um, humor when we think of uh, television programs like The Simpsons. But he makes a persuasive case that that religion, um, obviously starting with uh, uh, Ned Flanders, uh, The Simpsons' evangelical neighbor, and uh, the Reverend Lovejoy, I guess, who's the the uh, minister at their church, and and other things. Um, uh, religion actually plays a more conspicuous part in The Simpsons than you may think, and so it's both a both a kind of uh, counterintuitively instructive piece and a funny piece as well. <clears throat> I also have this week um, a nice review of um, by Daniel Galernter of the show at the Museum of Modern Art in New York of Matisse's cutouts, as you probably know. Henri Matisse, toward the end of his life, he died in 1954, did a lot of um, paper cutouts, um, which have been um, <clears throat> on exhibit periodically, but are now getting a, um, a very elaborate and comprehensive showing at uh, MoMA in New York through the 8th of February. So um, if you like Matisse, if you like uh, 20th century art, um, obviously this is a must-see exhibition, and Daniel Galanter's piece explains to you exactly what Matisse is trying to do and whether the show succeeds in showing us how he did it. Our review uh, this week from John Podhoritz, our movie critic, is of Interstellar, the um, star-studded uh, uh, film with Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway and others, which, as always, I will tell you that I don't want to spoil um, anything about the plot or even what John says about it, except to say, as is always with John's reviews, you you not only learn about the film and put it in context of cinema history, but you learn something about cinema and something about our culture in the meantime. Uh, another a very interesting piece from John Hodoritz on Interstellar. So that is the... Um, podcast for this week, um, the November 24th issue of the Book of Arts section of the Weekly Standard. I thank you so much for giving me a few moments of your time, and I look forward to speaking with you next. <laughs>